something about it is it really fosters this idea of, of collaboration in a way that I felt like when I was doing everything in software, it was literally just like by myself mm -hmm. in my bedroom, writing a Max patch. I would go travel the world and play it, and I would come home, and I would think about it for a month, and then revise it and do something else. But this is more, it's forcing me to be a little more social, and I like that. I like more social. social, okay. Yeah. That, that's not yeah. a reputation I think modulars may have, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, that makes sense. Point well, at least more social with other strange yeah. modular owners and builders, which is great. Well, and it's, in fact, I think I see Tom Arabs. Uh, I don't have modular? that one in here. No? That it, okay, a fantastic make noise. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, Tom is a great example of somebody who he saw that the power of doing this, of, of porting the Pitch Echo plugin into a, an actual hardware system, you know. Yeah. So this is a computer software developer. Fairly, actually, was one of my first introductions to computer music, and, and yeah, he's now making modules. I suppose if you look at it that way and say, hey, you could have a computer that could fit in a suitcase like this, and I'll have patch cords, and you can plug patch cords in and out in physical knobs, you'd say, yeah, I'd like that better than this folding typewriter. Yeah. You know, so that makes sense. And the idea of a, a dedicated digital audio device that's not a laptop, that's not yeah. a Facebook, that's not email, it's literally just all it does is you plug it in and it makes sound. You can't actually hit, you can't use Facebook from these is what you're saying. I have a Facebook module. A Facebook I have module. To, <laughs> I have to hide it, it's actually at the bottom because I keep unscrewing it and checking to see my friends. Your friends might notice if, you're, if your posts were kind of oscillating in a yeah, kind of right, regular yeah, yeah, pattern. Happy, 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 sad, 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 sad. <laughs> yeah. What, so when you, when you kind of like, when you set up yesterday, are you sort of working from, I mean, you already had a, a patch kind of in action, which you then manipulated. Um, are, you, are you sort of reconstructing certain structure, kind of compositional structures? Um, are you writing them down to remember how they are? Are they just kind of during sound check, they get recreated in some new way? How do you? Um, well, I mean, this is of a specific setup that, I mean, you know, before I left, the week before I came here, I took the entire thing apart and then put in just what I needed to do this exact thing. And just the modules in the suitcase. Physically okay. unscrewed things. But again, so for example, I was playing in four channels last night. Right. So I had to take out something that was previously here that was some sort of echo or reverb or something and put in this quad module and then put in the, the other things next to it that actually generate the panning. So that here's like a, a octature oscillator. You can kind of see it if you look in close, you can kind of see it going around. There it is. It's actually generating, you know, zero degrees, 90 degrees, 100 degrees, 270, and a perfect ah, okay. sinusoid. So if I patch this into here, it actually creates the effect of it evenly, even energy pan around the room in a circle. And then the other, the 45 degree outputs, the, you know, that's slightly off from the first set, was going back into the second channel here in the other direction. And the cool thing is because they're 45 degrees out of phase, they never actually meet at a speaker, the two panning. They're the same speed panning around in a circle but they kind of meet between the speakers. So you really get this interesting thing where, say, you have two pitches or two slightly different rhythms going and they're, they're moving around. They kind of, they just, you get this illusion of it actually moving at different speeds, even though it's actually being, you know, fed from the exact same speed and everything. And of course, these are the things in the patch that are speeding this panning up and slowing it down. There's a separate oscillator here that's doing different panning. And there's another one that was from here that's like basically four logic, you know, the on or off gates being derived from digital noise. They were doing the things with the drums where they're only like in one channel or two channels, sort of arbitrarily, every time a clock would happen, it would just choose a, a, a single speaker or a group of speakers to send that one sound to. But like with literally every downbeat, every you know, mm -hmm. clock. So moving around like this. So you know, if I were a drummer and I had, you know, four drum kits and I would run around the venue playing them one at a time, that would be insane. You know, but something like that idea of it is really appealing. Or having four drummers just play one beat at a time in different corners of the room. So I love the idea that I can just set up this patch that does that. And literally, as soon as I start the clock and I get it going, I don't even have to think about it, it's going. And then I can add on that, I can embellish it with synthesizer sounds or other kind of textures and things. 
but that process is largely running unabated by itself. I don't really have to, you know, I can tweak it, I can slow it up and speed it down and play it, more like a producer would, less than a composer, like somebody in the studio is kind of playing around with effects and things, but the actual process just really, I turn it on and it runs and it does what I want it to do, you know. And if it, you know, deviates from that, I have the control of being able to sort of mold it, but this, it's a very appealing to have it just do it. Set it up and, oh, sounds great, moving on, next thing, you know, next element. Hmm. So. so this is stuff you kind of planned out. You, yep. rec you reconstruct the patch when you get there. You must make some modif... Did you kind of modify things in soundtrack? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have to travel with the case closed. Right. So every time I get there, I have this many patch cables, and uh, I use every one. It's basically like bought exactly the right amount so that my luggage wouldn't be overweight. And, um, yeah, I, I knew exactly what I was going to do. It's, it's all little subgroups of things, you know. These two digital oscillators going through this one VCA here that's kind of, you know, looping, you know, kind of repeating rhythms. There's sort of like a drum subsection here with two uh, drum machines. One is basically an emulation of a boss, like Dr. Rhythm, like a DR-110. And then, you know, sort of clock division things. I can take the master clock and subdivide it and uh, do all these neat things where you're rotating, you know, like so every third beat, every fourth beat, every fifth beat, and I can actually, you know, patch those into individual drums and then actually cycle through which jacks or which um, subdivision. And that's a really powerful thing. And there's another one next to it that actually multiplies. So I can take a subdivision of the clock bring it back up to the full, you know, one-to-one, -one, and then it actually creates swing and things like that, so I can kind of do more, you know, classic drum machine type things. Just with this small sub-patch here, getting one clock will feed this entire, you know, it's how many voices in here? Six voices here and another seven or eight here. I can just feed from those, just this handful of modules, and it's always changing. It's never doing a direct beat. It's always doing some version, interpreting what the clock is doing. So I, that's another thing that's really fascinating is how you can just kind of copy a single trigger, send it somewhere, and it creates this vastly complex, you know, self-evolving set of sounds. Um, and I feel like this is only in the last few years where people have gotten very clever with things like that. You know, kind of they've found ways to push, you know, um, aspects of production into just you know relegating a hardware control to it. So it's pretty interesting. And you were using, sort of using, the, it felt like you were using the space at Berghain too. I don't know if that was kind of intentional or just the, the advantage of once you start doing this kind of panning in that space that it happens. But it felt sort of architectural. Was that, did you kind of tune what you were doing to the space or just sort of yeah. let it? Yeah, I mean, I made a lot of concessions to the fact that it was like a full range sound system, you know. And I love, I mean, I love dance music. It's not like I'm, what I'm doing is a disruption of dance music or anything like that. Right. I love it, but... I love the idea of using this colossal function one. It was like four full range stacks. I mean, really, when I was sound checking and I brought up even this one oscillator, you know, you can hear it's like, like about this pitch here. But even when it was like an LFO range, you can kind of hear it there, right? You know? So that's coming up right there. But I had it at like, you know, like four or five hertz down here. And you just suddenly became aware <laughs> of this like looming dread in the room. It was really incredible. I've never felt anything like that. It was like, let's see, let's say two hertz, three hertz, and everybody just kind of was like, <laughs> like convulsing. And I was like, I think that's sound. I don't think that's like a train going by or like an airplane flying over. That's actually like this system is physically doing that. And then you could see the lights kind of like dimming in time. I was like, yeah, cool, wow, all right. So that's new to me. So as soon as I realized how actually low it went, I was like, I have to just, you know, go down there and just explore those ranges, you know. Because yeah. I'm used to playing, yeah, on these plastic you know, Mackies and stuff like that. That you know, the, the bottom is like 80 hertz, maybe. You know? <laughs> Getting down to four, everybody's kind of like, okay, we're kind of levitating a little bit. And uh, <laughs> so, the most the entire set basically was like exploring those really low, you know, yeah. single-digit, you know, pitches. It was pretty interesting. I never really felt anything like that, so it was cool. What was the, you just used a great phrase though. Was it looming sense of dread? Did you say? Well, just because it was like, you, know, it's, you don't really interpret that as sound. It's just pressure in a room. You know, it's like, what is that? Uh, you know. 
And then I turned it off and everybody goes, oh, I got that sober. I don't even want to know what that was. You know? yeah. It's like more medical than sound. You know, really it affected them so deeply. You may have summed up the experience of that club very elegantly, actually. <laughs> Being inside a low-frequency oscillator. The main clock that everything runs from is down here, and it's actually the chip from an Atari 2600. Uh, funnily enough, the guy named the module the Zorlon Cannon, which I believe is a reference to... Some game. Who's it? Uh, Yars Revenge. Thank you. Yars Revenge. Um, and it, it spits out 4-bit, 5-bit, 9-bit, and 17-bit pitched noise um, as an oscillator. But what I love about it is that it's, it's putting out a standard clock, um, but then it actually has this like, sort of clock influence input, so you can really just give it any voltage. And with every beat, it clocks itself as sort of a CV feedback patch going through a sample and hold. So it's just white noise going into a sample and hold. And then, so at every clock, it, it steals a value, just a random, you know, negative five volts to positive five volts value. Spits it back in here, so with every clock, it's sort of like clocking itself a little bit faster and a little bit slower. Um, computationally, they call that drunk, right? Is it, or Brownian, mm -hmm. I guess, you know? Yeah, I know. Um, uh, or drunken walker, Brownian. Drunken would be depending on how it's mostly in one direction, but every now and then going in another direction. Yeah. So just based on how this particular sample and hole works, it kind of does that. It, it sort of speeds up a little bit and will kind of dip, and it's, it's a really musical... Um, thing and it just it's just based on the topography of this one particular sample and hold module, which this guy the STG guy built. Um, and so a lot of that stuff where I'm doing where it sounds like it's just careening around wildly and, and there's really no rhyme or reason to it is because I'm giving it a lot of leeway with every beat to kind of speed up or slow down or it will burst for a second and then stop for 30 seconds. And that's I mean literally everything that's being triggered in the entire synth is coming from that one output just copied through a multiple and spit out to every, you know, sub-patch in the entire synth. So that's the root of it. And that's triggering, you know, um, two different digital oscillators. One is this uh, morphing terrarium one, which is like a, you know, wavetable uh, oscillator with two voices. And it's maybe, there's 256 wave shapes in each buffer, in each, each voice. And it actually does this great floating point kind of morphing between each wave shape. So there's no clicking when it ships through the, the stages. It actually slowly, mathematically sort of like, you know, interpolates between the values. It's really nice, beautiful, smooth sound. That's actually what I'm running right now. So there's kind of like an overtone series there. That's the one voice, so the one is... I just really love the sound of it. It's, you know, again, it's a completely digital design. There's a little bit of a pitch burn at the end there. It goes up a little bit. So, with each, like, tick of the clock, it actually randomizes. It picks an arbitrary wave shape. So, actually, I can do it really quickly just to show you. One-handed patching. So let's see, just like that. Ta-da. So that's just the, the clock is turning on and off, but yeah. That's going from like full value on and off. You get the idea. So you know, as the clock speeds up, it changes the wave shapes. Um, so yeah, those two digital oscillators are being fed into this thing, which is an um, envelope generator of two VCA, so that, you know, the actual creates the envelopes and create and actually modifies the sound, the volume of the sound to create, you know, an attack decay. And you can loop those, you know, you can actually have them, you know, stutter and things like that. You can do neat things where you send different voltages and they, the, the envelope times speed up and slow down. Um, so yeah, that's just that, that morphing oscillator and this one called the cycle box, which I believe is just a, 
FPGA, you know, running a dedicated audio uh, engine this guy built, and it's just, you know, a giant FPGA mounted on the back of a module with, you know, pots on the top and switches, and that's it. So this would be another sort of digital circuit that he's describing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then next to that, there's sort of like the, the sort of more 50s version, which is like uh, four analog oscillators that are running through two ring modulators, the, the kind of space station, you know, bell-type noises, um, going into a, like a Vectrol, like a, an older kind of design for doing um, VCA. A Vectrol is literally uh, like an LED, like a light, and then a light sensor in a small light-proof box. And the idea is that it's actually, you know, converting the voltage to light, and then this thing is sensing it in the side and converting it back to voltage, and because it's happening at the frequency of light and it's based on well, some form of thermodynamics or something, it, um, it actually creates these beautiful slow rises, and it kind of, um, instead of just going from all the way off to all the way on, it sort of goes up here and it rings a little bit. And then as it goes down, it sort of rings a little bit down here. So you create this, it's, it takes something like a square wave and turns it into more of this slim musically complex wave shape, and I really love that about it. But you can kind of, a lot of people use them for various things across the design of synthesizers, not just for, for oscillators, but for, yeah, things like um, controlling volume and things like that. And that's going into a thing that sort of, you know, also creates envelopes and, uh, you know, subdivides the clock in a different way as this does. Um, and then, yeah, there's, um, there's another set of, like, filters over here that I'm running the drums through. The drums are going, you know, out of here to this really gnarly kind of double bandpass distortion filter that's going into a, um, you know, just like a cheap reverb pedal, like one of these things, you know, $100 programmable little reverb pedal with like a church, you know, like a long reverb. Because, um, you know, people have designed effects in these things, but they're kind of kludgy, and I love the idea of just somehow keeping this idea of just this little tiny thing that's, you know, again, it's in itself a little audio computer, you know, a little chip with a USB jack in the back. I like the sound of that one. Into a filter that goes into, you know, maybe one of the other panning channels, and then next to it is another, like a sort of digital buffer thing that's actually based on this Pierre Schaefer um, sort of playable tape machine that he designed in the 50s called the Phonogen. And it's, you know, this guy, Tony, the same guy that built the, this Tom Herb module, the Pitch Echo, he uh, basically read about the Phonogen and he envisioned his, like, digital tribute to that. So it's basically you can record audio into a buffer, a digital buffer, and play around with it and actually do little granular things. You can, you know, have little windows that slide back and forth and do freezing and things like that. You can really play around with it in, in a nice way, you know. You can do DJ type things with it, you know, speeding it up and slowing it down, playing it backwards. It's a really powerful little thing. And yeah, you just built it into this tiny box right here. It's really, it's really responsive, which is why I love it. It, has, it doesn't have a lot of memory, but it's just, it's um, really quick and really sort of tactile and playable. So that's just the one row. Yeah, and then up here there's, you know, a, a clock divider. That's the whole thing with the shift registers, you know, pushing the different values down the line to generate events across the synthesizer. Um, just, a, you know, a stereo mixer, those clock divisions up here, the analog oscillators, the morphing oscillator, a delay, and then, yeah, all the, all the panning and quad stuff. And I think this is, I mean, that's literally everything I was using last night was this, and then I had another smaller box that had a little video module that this guy Dave Jones built that literally, I put a camera to screen, and I run the video, I run it through this video module and then out into a projector, and uh, it just does simple things like brightness, contrast, is a little bit of a, like an effects mode, is a little like a, a bit mapping kind of thing, bit swapping. And uh, I, I like how it's literally the same envelopes that I'm using to control that the, the main two voices are also going to this thing that flashes it from bright down to, you know, it grabs, you know, a full feedback and then kind of mutes itself so you get that kind of tunnel effect. 
And uh, that's like literally the entire thing, you know. And it's I'm you know talking about it for a half an hour like it's the simplest thing in the world, but it's uh, it's amazing to me how much functionality you can squeeze into this thing. Really, it's kind of incredible to me, you know. I could build this in Maximus P, and it would you know sure it would take up a couple of pixels in the screen. But um, it's seeing it all laid out like this and thinking about all these things actually taking place every time I turn it on. It's it's kind of mind boggling. Yeah, that was very long. Well, some of these things would actually be fairly complex to build even in, in software. Oh yeah, software. sure. Yeah, yeah of yeah. course. Um, but you know, like like logistically speaking, yeah, there's none of the stuff you couldn't do in software, I'm sure. But um, and and indeed, what we're looking at is a different way of uh, embodying software. These are little computers, and some of them are running actually running software yeah, code actually, in the way yeah, that people absolutely. would normally understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a cool way to cool way to embody computers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, tiny computers. Yeah. So how do you kind of go about planning this this? Pro I mean, you talked about you sort of choose your palette. Mm -hmm. Pick kind of the modules that you want to use. And obviously, by choosing the modules that you want to use, you already have an idea of sort of the compositional techniques yep. that you want to apply. How do you kind of get that to a point where you feel like, okay, this is ready to, to play? Um, it's just a lot of exploration, honestly. It's a lot of spending time with um, just small groups of two or three modules that play nice together. And, oh, this is doing something really interesting. I like this. What would it sound like if I kind of took this sound but kind of used it to influence this thing over here and then, you know, try that for a bit? There's really, I mean, for me, it's weekly that I'm taking the whole thing apart and reconfiguring it and <coughs> kind of just experiencing it and exploring it a lot. So, um, yeah, it's just, and eventually you'll land on a few combinations that you like that actually make sense musically together. And uh, you just, I squeeze in as much as I can, you know, to end there and then just uh, run with that. Yeah, and that process to me sounds, I mean, I don't know if you spend any time kind of doing, you, you spend some time doing software patching, it sounds like. Of course, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> what you're describing sounds to me very much like the behavioral patterns of happy, successful Max patchers, PD patchers right. as well, this sort of taking things and breaking them down into sub-patches yeah. and well, recombining them and then improvising. There, there's different problems in that. I mean, with the computer, I mean, until you run out of CPU cycles, it's kind of limitless. And I think that was the problem I was having with Max is as computers were speeding up I was just, I was embellishing way too much. I mean, I started out with a simple idea with the max patches that I built. I built like a two, two kinds. One was for generating like a, made a little sampler that would cut up drums and spit out, you know, endless variations of that. And I did another one that was kind of, you could play guitar through it and it would do this kind of, yeah, very Terry Riley style, you know, tape machine, you know, kind of echo that was moving around in these different Fibonacci sequence delay times. And um, I kind of just like, it got to the point where as the computer sped up, I, I wouldn't stop adding things to it and kind of clouding it and clouding it. I think it kind of just the whole idea of these simple ideas got lost on me because I knew I could keep adding things to it, more automatable processes, more plugins, more whatever, you know. And with this, it's, it, the limitation is, is mass. You know, it's how much I can physically get on an airplane. Mm. And they let me take this thing on the, on the overhead compartment even though it weighs way too much to do that. But um, any other How much does this weigh? This, it's this. like 14 or 15 kilograms, maybe, which is, you know, I think the limit is like 15 pounds for, you know. <laughs> but it's <laughs> actually... Overhead. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the cool thing was the guy that designed the case, actually, like, we, we figured out what the, you know, the smallest allowable, like, carry-on dimensions were, and then he built it within a half of an inch of each dimension so that, I, you know, whatever I fly, I can just fit it up there. And I have to walk around with it like it's not very heavy and kind of smiling. <laughs> You know. That's right. So anybody yeah. flying onto the next town, if you notice your plane is kind of leaning yeah, to one side. Bit, yeah, yeah. Well, my nightmare like, is that it's like I'm going to be on a plane and the, the, the thing pops open and it falls on someone's head, you know, and it really gives them a serious injury. Cause it's That's not, always what happens in the disaster movies is the plane is yeah, crashing, yeah. I know. Yeah. yeah. So we're hoping that doesn't happen. Yeah, but yeah. thanks so much. I mean, it's such a, well, let's kind of go to questions, but certainly it was inspirational to me sort of as a thinking about hardware and software design as well as thinking about composition and approach to sound and performance. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's inspiring on yeah. all those levels. Really, a pleasure. Well, I guess the one thing I should add to it is that it's the, the the main alluring point of it is that there's no safety net for it. I mean, it's no matter how nicely you design a software thing, you always build some kind of fail-safe. And I just found myself relying on the fail-safe too much. Almost more in than the software, actually, you mean? Yeah, yeah. I was just always like, oh, if my computer crashes, then I'm going to just you know play an MP3 off my iPhone or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and I think everybody does that. And it's just for a while, this the idea really bugged me that it was like, the more that I did, the less people liked it, you know, they were kind of, I would show up and I would play and they'd be like, well, this doesn't sound like your records, you know, we booked you because we wanted to hear what your records sounded like. I'm like, my records are studio creations, you know, that I built them yeah, at home. Sure. I can't possibly recreate that live. I can't physically sequence, you know, a record live. Sure, I could show up with my sequencer and play a finished sequence, but that's not live music, you know. Um, and this is closer, still not a, a full solution, but it's closer to that spirit of actual live electronic music, that whole David Tudor, you know, continuum of that, which is, I'm very much... You know, I lionized those guys, the first like 60s wave of real like, you know, builders and people that, you know, come up with new solutions for actually making the, the physical circuitry sing in real time. You know, I love that idea. So I, I just got so heavily into it because the idea is that I, I could make mistakes and I could, things would actually break and things would kind of go in ways that I hadn't predicted them to. Um, and it, you can do that in software, sure, you can, you know, program in some control that's random or whatever. You know, it's putting out an API to see what the weather is in that town, and then it uses that to seed some random node generator or whatever. But this is more like it's, you know, these things do f and will fail in mm. unpredictable ways. That's based on the nature of them, and that's a very appealing point. So, Do you have these modules kind of fail on you when yeah, you're Yeah, like when the delay playing? is not working. I tried to use it last night. Something just happened. Oh, you know, okay. I patched into it, and it was maybe getting half power, something to do with... Uh, the 110 power supply going through a, you know, a step-up transformer. It actually was spitting out this really gnarly, beautiful, grimy digital thing that was just, you know, and it was kind of flickering in and out a little bit, you know. And I was like, ooh, what's that? I have no idea what's happening. Maybe the power cord is like half plugged in or something like that. And so I have to open it up today and look at it. Okay. But I love that. It was like, you know, in the middle of the set, I bring in this delay, this big triumphant moment, and it just kind of goes, you know, fizzles out. So, cool, great, cool. Thanks for, uh, you know. <laughs> made, a, made a decision for me, a compositional decision, you know. Hey, if that. anybody wants PD patches that spontaneously stop working, I can talk to you after this presentation. <laughs> so, That's your guy, right? Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, shall we ask, 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 let the audience ask some questions? See what they want to know? Generators was, again, it started out very simple. It was just four voices, you know, running that, that shift registry cannon. Um, and I think at the end of it, when I did the record, it was, I already had gotten four of those. He had, like, this small, single, like, two-sided... Um, Dope for cases. And, and th you know, it's like any idea. You start out simply, and then you embellish it and embellish it until it kind of implodes or becomes, you know, less of what you want. But, yeah, I got it down to just, I think it was 12 voices at the end, just doing, you know, all subdivisions of time, generating new melodies in different octaves and ranges and different wave shapes. But it's kind of uh, sort of structure. It's very canonic, yeah. yeah it's very Baroque. I mean, it has this very motor rhythm going through the entire thing, and, you know. Um, yeah, you can think of it like some sort of, you know, minimalist string chord or something like that, where the basses are actually playing at half the speed and things like that, you know. Um, but this is, this is way more em embracing, I kind of like the analogy I like to use is more like the free jazz drumming style of like having sort of little light motifs that are, you can't really hear them as, you know, subdivided linear time, but they're, you, can, you start recognizing the patterns after a while. And this is doing a lot of things that are repeatable. I'll take a, a, a totally crazy chaotic rhythm but then put it, say, in the phonogene, and then the more you hear it, say, three or four times, it loops this really, like, unrepeatable phrase, or, you know, something you don't really hear is, like, a, a metered phrase. You start hearing it as, like, oh, there's, like, actually something going on there that's part of a musical structure, you know? 
Um, and I had this one and I had another one like in the granule module, which I don't have with me, but they were doing, yeah, we were capturing bits of the chaos and then actually presenting them again as little ideas within the piece. So in that way, it's very similar to generators, but in another way, it's more, you know, this is more percussive and less laminar, so. Yeah, yeah, the generators was almost entirely analog, yeah, yeah. It was kind of like, yeah, it was a, a pan to that kind of, you know, Laurie Spiegel style, just like analog, you know. Maybe having some computer control in the generation of the notes, but the sound itself was definitely all analog. And I just stuck to those Buchla style triangle core oscillators, because I really like the sound of those, you know, so. And are, are, there, are there any pre-recorded, um, I heard things that all sounded like, like almost instrumental samples or something yeah. There's no, there's no sample material no. inside. No, there's actually no playback of any kind. Yeah, there's only, all the sounds are being generated within the box, and then they're being recorded within the box as well. No. Yeah. I do have a thing where it does have like a, a, a flash card or something you can put in and playback sounds into it, like this like granular module, but I haven't used it for that yet, so. That's, I mean, it's hard to do, to be honest, just to have it just be, and it's so tempting to introduce, you know, extra samples and things like that. But yeah, it's just, it's, it's pure in its own way, maybe, that it's just this and nothing else, and that's, that's very appealing as well. John Pillions is an Australian guy. What's his company called? Mungo. Yeah, right. Mungo. Yeah, he built a, like a granular, basically you, you put 500,000 samples in a buffer, and then you can yeah, do all the windowing and move it around and stuff like that. It's a beautiful module. It's great. He's yeah, like, I think he's we're going to see more of some of that stuff. Yeah, he's just getting to the point now stuff, where he's yeah. releasing it, I think, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I always think of it in complete voices, so I mean, for every... For every oscillator, there's an envelope somewhere in there. So, or for every, there's oscillators that are there purely to FM mm. existing oscillators. But for every actual voice, there's some somewhere in the synth. There's a there's an envelope in the VCA. So right now it's two there, two there. The drums kind of create their own envelopes because it just triggers in and out, so you don't really count those. But yeah, so it's yeah, it's about that. Like I said, it's you, you come up with a, a patch that's a complete voice, you know, a, an oscillator, a filter. And then that fits in there somewhere. And a lot of them are like they're multi-use. For example, like that filter here, I'm using it as an envelope because you can just you, know, you can ping a filter and have it you know turn into an envelope. But I'm also using it kind of as a mixer. It's a crossfader as well. It has all these other functions where you can cross route the sound back and forth. So yeah, a lot of them are cool like that. Some of them are actually complete voices in a single module, so you can just use the module by itself. So. Yeah, the, the the original question was kind of how how to, the ratio of oh, oh, oscillators to, to envelopes and other modulation. Yeah, it's sort so. of it's basically one to one. <laughs> yeah, that's nice to kind of think about these as as, as individual voices. So mm -hmm. really, a very structured musical synthesis approach. Yeah, and then real estate wise, it's definitely like the the self-contained patches are sort of like they're next to each other. You know, so I'll use these really tiny, 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 tiny patch chords like this, just to really go literally like from that to this, and I'll have a whole voice just you know all patched by itself. So and, and you're, color you're color coded is, here. Yeah, yeah, they're okay. color coded. So yeah. it's white cables for triggers, black for audio. And then as we start getting into the, the, the ASR values, they're actually like, you know, they go in order, you know, red, yellow, green, blue, like that. So I kind of don't get too lost. When you see the sea of it like this, and it's insane, you know, it's like this mess of hair on top of here, I can always kind of close my eyes and open them and go like, green, right, green, green goes here, and then I just do that. So that makes it a little easier. It's a mimetic trick. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the question was, can you, can you program in more sophisticated generative techniques, yeah, higher yeah. level techniques? Yeah. yeah. We're getting to the point now where there's people are generating like Euclidean rhythm generators and things like that. There's dedicated modules that just do that. You know, they take a clock and they have their own theme and variation version of it. You know, that actually does the math. I don't have as much in here right now, but there are a lot of programmable logic modules as well where you can do, you know, and or kind of operations as well. You can derive lots of different clocks from just two different sources, you know. Um, 
because um, this is more of a focus on audio and then also just, you know, I've, it's convenient that I can actually clock so many things from that one master clock and just little slight delays of the master clock are kind of how I generate a lot of the variation. But yeah, there's a ton of people doing just math, straight up, you know, math modules in this format. I've seen people that have entire systems that it's all <laughs> CV generation and clock generation and then maybe there's one oscillator at the bottom, but it's, you know, a very complex, you know, routing of all these different ideas into one sound. That's a really pure, great way of doing it. Other questions in the back? People way in the back must wonder something. Probably partly because they may have been unable to hear. Phoebe has a question. Well, you can use it for anything. It's, just, it's an actual, it's a, it's a circuit, the Vactrol, V-A-C-T-R-O-L. Um, and it's, um, yeah, it's just, they use them because it's, instead of just having a voltage, you know, follower, it actually does this, you know, really fantastic translation to light and back again to create these ringings and things like that. Um, people just love them because it adds so much extra character, just like, you know, instead of just a simple, like, you know, voltage off, voltage on, it adds all that little extra filigree to it. Um, and you see them used across the board. Some people design whole oscillators based on them. That guy, Tony, that um, made the Funigen, he designed one, the, the DPO, recently. That's, um, it's two oscillators that are used those for everything, for any kind of, like, switching of voltages of actual in there somewhere. And his, like, most famous module is called the Maths. Actually, it does all that envelope generation and cross-feeding and stuff. I think it has like four or five actuals in there just to have a little extra character as well. But yeah. So you, you don't see right. the light in this case, right? Because it's inside it's, the it's, module. It has to be in a light-proof box. It has yeah. to be, you know, completely sealed off or else there's leakage and stuff. It's infinite, you know, the amount of change. As you think about it, it's voltage moves very quickly, you know, along a wire and the light itself is faster. Oh, I don't know the raw math on this, but so light is what, 186,000 feet per second? Yep. And then voltage is some probably. number of meters. Uh, yeah, 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 and uh, voltage yeah. is um, slower. Yeah. So, yeah. But the actual just the translation from voltage to light is there's all this gray area in there. That's something you, if you were very talented, you could probably model it in, in software. But you can, it's the reality of it is infinite. You know, it's infinitely complicated. You know, so it's it's and, also very appealing. Yeah, I mean there are people who have externalized this too, right? So this is a light that's hidden inside this box. Some people have done circuits where you actually see the light on the outside. Um, like uh, you know Eric Archer, maybe. Oh, that's the thingamagoop yeah. guy, that, that thing with the light, is that Eric Archer? That's uh, his friend, also Austin, Texas, but yeah, that's right. John Mike Reed. Oh, yeah, right. But yeah, Eric Archer has a whole bunch of things with kind of glowing lights and photo cells that talk to each other. And then, yeah, the thingamaboop, thingamajig, thingamaboop. It has a goop in there somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Uh, from Bleep Labs also has the, the central yeah. element is this big light. Yes. So there are people externalizing these lights. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. In fact, Eric was at the very first event that began the, what be evolved into Music Makers in 2007. Oh, cool. Other questions? Uh, how much do you find like, specific design philosophies of different module makers affect the way you make All the time. It happens all the time. Um, the, um, the shift registers, they're Vectrol-based. And, and they don't hold voltage very well. That's another thing about Vectrols. It's like a, some seat is a feature, some seat is a design flaw. But it, um, when I'm clocking it regularly, like when I'm doing that generator's patch and it's getting you know, a clock every 500 milliseconds or so, it holds the voltage beautifully. But if I'm doing this you know, thing where it's flitting around and then this clock pauses for 30 seconds, all of these values, there's an inverter in there somewhere. Um, so instead of like slowly like leaking voltage, it actually rises. So it'll be like, you know, it goes like slowly goes away after like a minute, you know. But and at first that really annoyed me, you know, because I wanted it to hold a consonant chord, and then they would just start drifting microtonally all the different individual voices. But then 
Now I just love it. I love the sound of it. It's like you can just hold this thing. The whole synthesizer locks. It freezes, you know, and then it's just still moving. It's still doing something, all based on this one vectral in there that's just slowly losing voltage a little bit at a time. So, so yeah, things like that happen really often. Yeah, again, it's 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 um, collaboration with people, but it's also a collaboration with you know what inherently makes each circuit each circuit. You know, that's. Do you feel? Do you kind of see those people when you? I mean, you talked about this being more social. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The conversation as they're being designed, but kind of yeah, see yeah. those. Yeah, we, we rent a, a summer house. You know, we go fishing on lakes and stuff. Yeah. No, no. It's a, there's a lot of it's a very social scene in the U.S. and we meet up. You know, there was one a big one in Chicago a couple months ago, and we all yeah. sat around and drank beers, and you know, it's more like of a, a bro down than like a you know technical discussion. But it's really neat that it's like the guys, or all these guys are really accessible. You know, all the people that make these things are accessible. It must make a difference when you're playing, when you are alone, kind of playing with this stuff. You must yeah. kind of, getting to, knowing, that it must make a difference to kind of know the people behind this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's all, they all have their own aesthetics. Like, they all come from completely different backgrounds. And, you know, they're, they're like different kinds of music, even, you know. They're not all these, like, techno-obsessed people, you know. Absolutely, yeah. The guy, Scott Harvestman, I love him. He's, like, really into, like, uh, you know, power electronics and, like, black metal and stuff. And it's, like, it's just amazing that he's building these very complex, beautiful electronic things, but doesn't seem to come from too much like, you know, academic style electronic music or even techno. You know, he's coming from a completely different place. So his designs all kind of, I see that influence of, you know, like Russian, you know, power electronics somehow in his like, you know, the designs that he makes. And he uses a lot of these Russian like circuit topographies and stuff like that as well. So he made one that took the pitch tracking circuit from like a Russian guitar synth, you know, and he collaborated with a guy that designed it in the 80s and they just made a module out of it. That's like a really great idea, you know, these regional versions of things. Right, yeah, instead yeah. of Fender models and things, like actually model, you know, yeah. weird Russian pitch tracking circuits. That sounds like great. Yeah, maybe we let, as promised, let people wander up and meet you and take a closer look. But yeah, yeah certainly as it's a pleasure to know the people behind some of these modules. It's also mm -hmm. a pleasure to get to know the artists too. And so thanks so much. No worries. And feel free to come up. I'll leave it patched in, I mean, on the speakers if you want to just come and build something on it. You're more than welcome. So. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Yeah.